Hi guys, this is Ben from Bat for FPL and you've joined me for the channel's third fantasy football podcast of the season. Now, game week two was an incredible weekend of football. We had so many entertaining scorelines, um, most goals that have ever been scored in the Premier League uh, weekend, which was 44. Um, so we were, we were treated to an awful lot. Unfortunately for some managers... There was heartache uh, and they were punished for some of the decisions that they made. And I'm going to go into some of those decisions and analyse them um, later in the podcast. But um, in the next kind of 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be summing up my uh, my game week two and how it went. Uh, I wasn't part of the... Um, part of the kind of heartache crew of game week two but then I also didn't have one of those monstrous score lines um, over the hundred so I was somewhere in the middle pretty pleased with how I how, how I got on another green arrow for me in my um, in my kind of journey this season uh, to try and uh, to try and beat my my record of last season at 13,000 so I'm pretty happy with how I got on I got 72 points overall but that was a measly showing compared to Sevan Kioshgarian's FC20 team that managed to get 113 points this week shot up from nearest the bottom of the league right up to fourth place um, obviously showing exactly how much ground can be covered in these early weeks of the season. Um, and with the likes of Son, who obviously got him four goals, Kane, who he captained, uh, got 42 points in the end with, with his four goals, uh, four, sorry, four assists and a goal. Um, he, he's, he's done incredibly well there and almost doubled the average. Um, so great work from Sev there. We'll obviously catch up with him next week see how his team got on and speaking of checking in on people you'll remember that last week Anna Grindel got off to an incredibly good start and this week she has experienced the true heartache of being an FPL manager uh, how the emotions swing um, she decides to take Son out as he blanked in game week one and she was trying to avoid the price drop which I'm, I'm sure quite a few people were either tempted to do or in fact went through with and she brought in Marcus Rashford in the hope that he would haul against Crystal Palace obviously Manchester United looked really good at the back end of last season um, perhaps a little bit guilty there on my part um, for this advice but I did say last week in the podcast I did say that I'm not personally going to be get going on the Manchester United players because I want to see how they perform um, and in taking out Son she lost out on 22 points, so um, that was incredibly frustrating for her. Incredibly frustrating for me as well, to be honest, as a non-Son owner. So I guess um, what we've learned from, from game week two of the little experiment of Anna playing FPL is that patience is a virtue. It's worth holding on to some of your assets time after time, particularly when they're players like Son, who we know can perform uh, against anyone. It's best to hold true to what you went with at the start if he's injured then take him out if he's suspended take him out but otherwise after one game week it's impossible to tell really who are the best picks and who aren't so moving on into my team i'm now up to the rank of 183,000, which i will most certainly take considering that there are probably 7 million or close to 7 million active managers at the moment being so early on in the season uh, and the 72 points that i managed to acquire this week were um were kind of spread out a little bit more um you know last week Salah was was a kind of mega captain for loads of people and stuff but I'm quite pleased at the moment because the majority of my players are returning in some form or another um and obviously the ones that aren't or the ones I'm worried about I, I am already I've already decided how I'm going to fix that issue so I'll explain those later um I have Matt Ryan in goal who got me six points 
Um, obviously, Brighton played really well against um, against Newcastle. Not only going forward, but also defensively, they looked like a, a quite a solid base, or they built some sort of strong foundation there. Um, which makes me feel a hell of a lot better picking Ryan than some of the other 4.5 options I also considered. Obviously, lots of people have gone for McCarthy with Southampton looking quite shaky at the back, or quite shaky is a bit of an understatement, to be honest, at this stage. Um, West Brom have conceded loads of goals already, eight goals, I think, in total. Um, Fulham don't look great defensively either. And Leeds, who I kind of back to be relatively strong defensively out of the gate this season have again been you know been as leaky as, as any of the other promoted teams so Ryan looks like a really good pick I'll be definitely keeping him moving forward Alexander Arnold and Robertson were my kind of two premium assets in defense and they finally returned you know I mean I say finally it was only one game week where they didn't get a clean sheet but it looked rather bleak against Leeds, didn't it, in terms of um, the three goals that they conceded. But they managed to shore up defensively somewhat. Um, obviously, it was helped by um, not only the red card to Christensen, but also the penalty save from Allison. So, um, obviously, massive thank you to, to, to that Brazilian keeper there for keeping uh, keeping me in the uh, in the points there. But uh, Alexander Arnold got me seven and Robertson got me six. Ailing is a worry. He will survive my Game Week 3 squad, I think, but he is firmly on my radar I don't like the look of Leeds at all. I think that um, Bielsa is is playing a very advanced, progressive style, which could be enough to keep them in the league. But defensively, they are certainly not the sorts of uh, assets I want to own. And any chances that they are creating are not coming through their wing backs. So I think Ailing and Dal- Dallas are certainly not as um, as strong as they may have have seen seemed at the start of the season. Justin, what a legend, James Justin, and another attacking return. Got a goal from inside the six-yard box almost, which is not what you expect from a left-back um, or you know a, a, a full-back who's not even playing in his um, favoured side, um, him being a natural right-back and all. So really happy with him. Obviously, we, we knew from the start of the season it would be a transfer out or a transfer waiting to happen once Pereira came back. But for now, I'm just going to mop up his points and, and, and move on. My midfield was um, as follows. Salah got me three points. I vice-captained him, so pretty pleased I didn't go with him in the end. Um, Aubameyang, my captain, not much better. He got me five, but it was doubled to ten. James Rodriguez, this is the big one. My transfer last week where I went from Ali to James Rodriguez saw a 12-point return. Obviously, Ali didn't play and Rodriguez got his goal and an assist, so I was really pleased watching that game. Um, I do think owners of Luca Dina can count themselves incredibly unlucky. He also looked an, a really dangerous player for Ancelotti in terms of uh, the, the chances he's creating. Dean is on the left-hand side at corners, and he also hit the bar from um, from free kick. So he's someone that I'm also, you know, I've got in the back of my head because I think that one-point return that Dean got was, was quite unfortunate. But for now, I'm moving forward with their attack. Rodriguez, 12 points. Um, incredibly, incredibly happy with that. And Alanson Maximin is, uh, is my fourth playing midfielder um, and he obviously got one point he got taken off um you know pretty pretty early on in that game i think on the 32nd minute he left with it with an ankle injury and it's no surprise to see him um him as one of the most transferred out players this week as firstly the 5.5 options look um look few and far between um apart from a couple who have who have perhaps cropped up out of nowhere and i think people are uh, finally realizing me included, obviously, that St. Maximin isn't exactly 
um, going to be bringing in halls anytime soon. You know, any creativity that Newcastle do um, do create will probably go through the likes of Wilson and and through sort of the central midfielders pumping balls over the top rather than giving it to some maximum's feet and him working some magic so yeah Newcastle don't look great going forward they were woeful against Brighton and they have Tottenham up next so I can't really see where their goals are going to come from in the short term and in the long term I just don't think um, they've got enough firepower to consistently return in attack so that's why I'm, I'm going to be taking him out later on a few players have emerged around his price tag so um, I'm going to jump on them before their prices rise and finally in attack I've got Timo Werner and Calvert-Lewin now Despite his um, his sort of exodus in terms of loads of managers taking him out, I do feel that Werner did play well against Liverpool and looked probably their most attacking threat. Um, he obviously won the penalty, which Jorginho missed on another day. That would have been a five pointer, and it wouldn't have been an, an, wouldn't have been a blank. And also, you've got to remember that Chelsea were playing that game with ten men for the majority. Um, once Havertz went off. Werner was pretty much just chasing that that back line and wasn't really going to be creating too much um, or get the supply that he needed to to really show his worth. And obviously with West Brom up next, um, who have conceded so many chances in the opening two games, I can't see why Werner couldn't pull it around and, and, and kind of change Chelsea's fortune. So Werner's a definite hold for me right now. I'm obviously a little bit disappointed that he's he's only got seven points in the first two games, but that's FBL. You can't hit every single nail on the head in terms of your your early season predictions but one early season prediction that I have managed to nail and I'm so pleased about it because um, it's meant that I've got quite a significant price rise out of him already is Calvert-Lewin obviously his hat-trick against West Brom was sensational exactly the kind of goals I like to see from my FPL players which is headers and tap-ins from sort of six yards out shows he's getting in the right positions he's getting the correct amount of supply as well from the players around him so I'm hoping that DCL can continue to get those tap-ins and, and earn me an awful lot of points moving forward um, my bench is 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 pretty pretty bare um, obviously Basuma's red card wasn't a helpful one he's now out till the 17th of October which means I've got to do some serious thinking in terms of how I organize my bench here on out um, I was pleased to see um, Davis get a few minutes at the end for Aston Villa. I do think even though he won't start games, he does look quite dangerous when he comes on because he, he he's an energy player and he plays um, he plays around kind of running at running at defenses and being physical and often when he comes on teams are quite tired so he can he can kind of crop up with a few chances and and and, and kind of throw his weight around a little bit he's never going to get loads of points um, it's probably going to be a one pointer most weeks but he did score in the Carabao Cup last week um, just before the game week started so I'm um, I'm pretty happy with his kind of his kind of improvement I guess if you put it that way um, at the 4.5 million um, striker slot and finally Sice against Manchester City gave away that penalty that was possibly um, a, a foot he put wrong but other than that, he's looked incredible um, for his value at five million. Quite a few people have already jumped on him, and um, and yeah, you know, at five, at five million, you've got a player who's not only going to be keeping clean sheets and a very robust and solid Wolves back line, but also you've got a player who they aim for at corners can get a goal like he did against Sheffield United in the opening game week. So um, he's going to be playing pretty much here on out for the next kind of six to seven game weeks for me. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of pleased with where my my team is set, but there are some changes I need to make moving into game week three.
So before I explain my transfers heading into game week three, uh, the first thing I'm going to talk to you about is my strategy. And this isn't necessarily a strategy that everyone else should adopt because obviously whether you wildcard and things like that is dependent on your team and the team that's in front of you. As I've already mentioned, I'd only change you know three or four players in my starting 11. Um, so I'm not going to be using a wildcard yet. I'd much rather keep that in my back pocket. But I do want to say to those people who are wildcarding, maybe think about trying to give it just one or two extra weeks. After game week one, everyone seemed to believe exactly who were the best options, who were going to be getting the points every single week, and they wildcarded. And then game week two happened, and the complete opposite happened in a lot of cases. You know, the marketplace completely changed. You're thinking with, with the likes of Manchester United players all blanking. Um, that was incredibly disappointing for those people who wildcarded to try and get Bruno Fernandes in, for example. On Bruno Fernandes, you know, we saw in that game against Crystal Palace that when Van der Beek came on, it was actually Van der Beek who took that number 10 role and Bruno stepped back and kind of played a more deep-lying playmaker position. Now, obviously, for Manchester United, if that works for them, then that's what they'll continue to do. They're not going to be thinking about FPL points. As FPL managers, we've got to see that and, and go, right, OK, well, actually, we need Bruno's far forward to make those sort of passes on the edge of the box and and take those shots from from inside the uh inside the penalty area. So that's something we need to consider. If you're a wildcard owner now or you're currently doing your wildcard, do you take out Fernandez in the hope that he um, doesn't score like he did last season or do you keep him in in the hope that he does continue to play that number 10 role like he has been in the you know in the back end of last season and gets loads and loads of points. And that for me is is a it's too early to tell situation. We've only seen two game weeks, and I think that in maybe a couple more weeks, we're more likely to see in in not only that case but in loads of cases across the league exactly who are nailed and more more importantly where they're nailed on the pitch. I think as well it's important to remember that the the transfer window hasn't shut, so any kind of last minute um, grabs from teams, you know. Uh, Obviously, we think of the top six, don't we, when we think of kind of deadline day signings. But any team in the Premier League could make additions to their to their lineup and and could completely derail any team that we've put ahead. So I think that wild cards the wild card is best kept in the back pocket for now. I'm not saying you've got to keep it to game week 16. I just feel that if you can get through maybe the next international break, I'm thinking off the top of my head a kind of game week five, game week six kind of scenario before you play it that will end up far more productive in the long run i think as well just looking at my team in particular if i was considering wildcarding there'd be several players i'd consider taking out mainly just based on two weeks worth of data um, and not actually thinking about the fixtures that they have played you know a classic example is verna i think lots of people wildcarding this week are taking out verna but they're forgetting that they've played one game against Brighton where the team had never really played before and they played a game against Liverpool where they went down to 10 men very early on. Now, what I would say is give it a couple more weeks with Werner, um, maybe give it a couple more weeks with Havertz as well because I'm sure they are, they're world-class players for a reason. They will be able to turn it around and then what you'll have or the issue you might you might be faced with is if you've taken Werner out, he could punish you just like Son did to all the people who sold him last week. So, 
I think it's opting for hits rather than a wild card at this stage of the season, which is what I've decided to do. I've made two transfers this week. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really happy taking hits too often in a season, but I think to make one um, one hit in the early game weeks isn't a problem at all because you'll end up getting that four point hit paid back in the long run um, if you know if you uh, if you make it wisely. So that's what I've kind of decided to do. So my first transfer is a Bamiyang to one of the Manchester City midfielders. Now, I think this was a game plan that most people had in their heads even before um, the, the first game week started, you know, because Aubameyang started with two really nice fixtures. He hasn't really performed as well as some would hope in those fixtures, but he's still got a goal and an assist, you know, maybe not worth 12 million, but, you know, he's, he's done quite well. Thank you, Aubameyang. I'm going to ship you on and I might bring you back later in the season. Um, but Manchester City, they look like the, the real uh, team to beat at the moment, I think. Uh, they, they're obviously hungry for that... Um, you know, that, that title that, that was taken away from them. And I think the most important thing with City is they're, they're just haul machines waiting to happen. I think, you know, Mane and Salah, they're the two people you want in the um, in the attacking end of, of Liverpool in terms of finding hauls. But I literally look at City's entire squad and I think any one of those players could haul at any time. Um, you know, you think of the likes of Mares, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Phil Foden, they can all get incredible scores. So I think I definitely want a piece of that pie. It's just where I go for that switch. Now for me, and some people like playing it this way, and that's that's absolutely fine, but I don't really like players that are a serious rotation risk. And some will argue that Foden isn't a serious rotation risk at this stage, now that, um, that David Silva's left the club. But my argument would be, actually, I think that Foden doesn't play the same role that David Silva does. You know, David Silva plays as a as a kind of central midfield player who can pick up those pockets in the middle of the park. And I actually think Pep Guardiola likes to put Foden wider as, as part of the front three. And I think that's mainly why he allowed Sane to leave for Bayern Munich, because Foden will eventually take that, that kind of left-footed role in Manchester City's front three. Aguero is obviously out, so that gives Jesus a really nice chance of starting a lot of games this year. Lots of people have spoken about a false nine with Raheem Sterling playing in that, that front spot. I can't really see it happening regularly, to be honest with you. Possibly in the old Champions League game, possibly um, in, in games against... Um, against top six opposition, he might decide to um to, to opt with a with a false nine. But honestly I think what we're most likely to see is Jesus playing down the middle for 60 minutes most games. I think Kevin De Bruyne um, will start the majority of fixtures as well. And I think Raheem Sterling pretty much, you know, obviously you can't ever be sure with Pep Guardiola. He likes to change his team quite a lot. But I think Sterling will play the majority of games as well. Um, so they're the kind of three that I'm looking at on my watch list. Obviously, I can't take out a Bamiyang for Jesus is um, as you know Jesus is a striker so I'm looking at Kevin De Bruyne and Sterling as most people are and the Wolves game was the big deciding factor for me um, to go with Kevin De Bruyne I think this player is by far the, the the best in the league I think he's got everything going for him in terms of um, FPL points he's an incredibly creative player who racks up the assists at an astonishing rate. He knows how to score goals in big moments and also uh, in big games, which often helps with the bonus point system as well. He 
has the, the ability to orchestrate the entire front line pretty much on his own, and therefore the entire team runs through Kevin De Bruyne. So you can be pretty sure that he's going to have the majority of the kind of attacking usage, if that makes sense, the majority of the time on the ball to, to do what he wants to do. And the massive differentiating factor to remember as well is Kevin De Bruyne is on penalties. You know, now that Aguero is, is out for in the long term, some may have argued that Kevin De Bruyne would have been on in any way, but we can pretty much assume that KDB is going to be taking pretty much every penalty that Manchester City win. And Man City are the sort of team that are going to win a lot of penalties. You know, I can imagine Sterling getting fouled an awful lot, Foden going down, Mares getting getting fouled like he did a lot of times last season. And who who's going to be there to pick up the goals? Kevin De Bruyne. So I think he's he's definitely the the um, the for me the safer pick. I know that sounds um, sometimes a little bit unadventurous, but I quite like going for the safe options um, when it comes to Manchester City because I feel you know you, you want to be as close as you can to banking those points. Um, but I do see the I do see the argument for Sterling. You know he he just like he did for me with um, with the game against Brighton last season. He can easily get a hat trick. Probably more likely to get goals than than, than Kevin De Bruyne. Um, but what he doesn't necessarily have is that regular consistent um bringing in of bringing in of points i think with sterling you're you're more likely to get a higher upside if you get the captaincy right you know he if if you manage to captain him on a game game week where he scores a hat trick you're absolutely golden but if you don't manage to do that you're better off having kevin de bruyne because you could captain captain him pretty much every single game week and he's more often than not going to return you points um and as someone who struggles with captaincy or sometimes struggles to make the right call i'm happy i've got kdb because every time i'm going to be worrying which one to captain i'm always going to go with the safe pick and in my mind that's kevin now i don't like making early transfers um mostly but i think with the fact that kdb was going to go up in price abamyang was likely to go down in price and alanson maximum was likely to go down in price as well i just decided last night to make the transfers live or die by it uh, and hope that there are no injuries in the Carabao Cup and things like that. So I wouldn't necessarily advise it, but that's my kind of way of taking a mini risk at the start of this season in terms of um, in terms of my transfer tactics. Um, and my second transfer is is one that I'm really excited about. I've um, by my own admission got who I believe is the best player in the league in Kevin De Bruyne, and um, and now I've managed to get into my side the player who nutmegged the best player in the league which is Daniel Pedence. For anyone who saw the um, the Wolves-Man City game, he, um, he, he made Kevin De Bruyne for once look rather human as he kind of nutmegged him um, and, and had a really good game. Obviously, I'm joking about the nutmeg. He played incredibly well, assisted a goal for Raul Jimenez, looked like one of Wolves' most dangerous players going forward. Um, so for me, he was an instant um, jump in on my radar. Um, and I think he's... He's likely to do well um, for that price point. I think if he was any more expensive, I'd I'd have scratched my head a little bit more because if he was six point five million or something like that, you'd be wanting regular returns from him. But at five point five million, I'm kind of happy with you know on average a return every other game or whatever it might be. And so far, he's got two assists in two games. He's played um, he's played ninety minutes against Man City, which is really important been given the number 10 shirt he looks like he's linking up really well with Raul Jimenez and most importantly Yotta's left the club you know he's gone to Liverpool 
uh, and I think that's a that's a nice bit of business from um, from Wolves there because it looks like they've got two players who can offer the same kind of game as Yotta in Pudence and obviously NATO as well. Um, now there is some speculation, and I am slightly concerned. I have to say on um, Semedo's new signing. You know, he signed today the right back from Barcelona, um, which obviously you know if he comes in. Uh, at a, at a nice a nice price, I'd be looking at him in terms of a, a you know a Wolves triple up, but him moving to right back now means that Traoré will, will move back to um to a more advanced role in that kind of front three, and whilst I'm sure that Pudence will start on the left uh, when they play a five two three, um I'm worried somewhat that Pudence might drop out of the side or get benched every now and then. If they decide to play with a five-three-two and have Jimenez and, and Traore up front, now I am obviously concerned, but I'm not concerned enough to not go for him because I think his performances have spoken for itself. You can't look at a player who's making Manchester City worry and and, and threat and that kind of thing and not play him for another at least two or three fixtures. Um, he's likely gonna gonna return again I can see him scoring at least a goal or getting an assist in in the kind of next few games and when you consider that Pudence is playing West Ham away Fulham at home Leeds away Newcastle at home and Crystal Palace at home in the next five fixtures there's there's definite potential there and obviously once we get to that um that Leicester game um, who, to be honest, I might hold him for Leicester and Southampton. But once we get to that game, I might consider shipping him on. That might be the time that I'm wildcarding. So he looks like not only a kind of knee-jerk bandwagon pick, um, but also he looks like a, a kind of a good long-term option as I'm um, as I'm trying to build a relatively solid and consistently um, performing team. So my team for game week three is as follows I've got Matty Ryan in goal and he's playing Manchester United at home now before the season kicked off you'd have thought this would be an absolute um, you know an absolute dressing down from from Manchester United and Brighton would get absolutely spanked but um, you've got to remember that they they didn't play particularly well against um, Crystal Palace you know they were they were quite lethargic going forward I think obviously Wan-Bissaka and Matic coming back into the team will, will, will help things. But also Brighton have played incredibly well so far this season. They look really dangerous against Chelsea um, and obviously were unlucky to, to not come away with any points there. And they absolutely destroyed Newcastle. I think Bissouma will be a bit of a miss in the middle of the park. Um, but I'm hopeful that Ryan can, can at least come out with something, um, whether that be a, a few save points. So um, Ryan in goal, happy with that. Um, I think Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, as I've said many times before, it's a long game strategy and playing them every week should hopefully um, bring in bring in some points, uh, well, quite a few points along the way for that for that price tag um, of kind of 14.5 million for, for both of them. So they're both playing Arsenal at home um, this week. I can see that, you know, I can see it going one of two ways. I think that, you know, Arsenal have, have improved... In terms of their confidence and their um, and their kind of dynamism, so you could easily see kind of a Bamiang notching a goal or or William creating something for 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 kind of Lacazette or something on those lines. But it's also a Liverpool side that that do really well against the top six. So um, so I'm, I'm, I don't I don't really know how to how I feel about about this one. I'm, 
I'm hopeful, obviously, for a clean sheet. Um, if not, an attacking return from one of them. Ailing is playing up against Sheffield United. And as I've said, this is kind of last chance saloon for him. If if Leeds can demonstrate to me that they are defensively robust enough to get a few clean sheets this season, and also Ailing can show some sort of attacking threat, whether that be regular crosses into the box or a couple of shots or something along those lines, I might keep him in. But at the moment, you know, looking at his looking at his fixtures beyond Sheffield United away, he's got Manchester City at home, um, Wolves at home, and then Leicester at home in the next four fixtures. So I can't really see myself keeping him if, if he concedes against Sheffield United. So that's kind of one to watch, one to think about for next week. Um, Sykes is playing West Ham away. Um, I think Wolves, Wolves are really good at the back, as we know. They... They obviously defended quite well against Man City despite conceding twice. So, sorry, three times obviously because of because of um, Gabriel's final goal. So, I think I think he's again really nice option. Happy to have him in there. Um, and he's now joined in my midfield by Pedence, who I've spoken about a lot obviously already. But um, but I'm hopeful that he can he can do something because West Ham again have not looked very good since uh, since the since the kind of season restarted. So. Um, I think Antonio is a possible option for the future, but there's no other West Ham players that I'm looking at um, enviously, put it that way. Um, Salah remains in my midfield yet again, and currently I've not got the vice-captaincy or the captaincy on Salah at this stage. Now, lots of people will say, oh, well, you're spending £12 million on a player, but you're not happy to captain him. It's time to get rid of him. I think the complete opposite. I think I want a, you know, a number of players on my side who could be the captain, but I've got better captains elsewhere. And I think Salah at home, he could do really well. He could go and, um, and, and create a kind of 20-point performance. But he also could 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 blank because it's Arsenal and you just never know how those games are going to go. So um, Salah at home to Arsenal. Um, De Bruyne playing Leicester is one of my options for captaincy. And currently he's got the vice-captaincy armband on. I think that... You know, I've spoken about the consistency and of, of De Bruyne, and I think against Leicester, he's just as likely to do as, to to do really well. He often performs in the big games, and it's quite clear that Pep Guardiola has moved De Bruyne forwards into a more of a number ten role in those trickier fixtures. Um, he did it in the Champions League last season. Um, he he did it against Wolves. So I'm expecting him to do something similar against Leicester. Some people, and they're right to believe this, are thinking that maybe De Bruyne will even play the number role, number ten role, permanently this season. Now that David Silva has left the club, obviously against Wolves they set up with a kind of defensive two of Fernandinho and Rodri to kind of cover De Bruyne and that gave him the complete freedom to just orchestrate the attack so I'm very very tempted to put the armband on De Bruyne but currently I've got it on somebody else and then finally Rodriguez look he's he a bit like De, a bit like De Bruyne but at Everton, at Everton he's um he's looking incredibly dangerous in terms of what he's produced the numbers he's producing and the, and the kind of assist potential there I think you know, he if he if he can get a free kick, maybe push Dina off it, um, score score a goal from there, have another couple of shots from outside the box, um, and continue to provide for the likes of Calvert Lewin and Richarlison um, 
in, in, in those tight areas that he manages to do, he's going to make a mockery of his price tag this season. So really happy to own him. He looked like a, a great transfer from last week. So here's hoping that those um, those transfers, those successful transfers, continue. Finally, my front line is exactly like last week. Werner and Calvert-Lewin up front. Now, Werner is my captain currently with um, with his game against West Bromwich Albion. My my worry here a little bit is, am I captaining him just because it's West Brom? You know, I, I think they are incredibly leaky. Bilic is m- more concerned, I think, about finding West Brom's identity than than kind of sticking 10 men behind the ball and, and, and going out on the counter. So he it's, it's hard to know how um, Chelsea are going to set up. I almost I'm almost certain that Werner will play. Um, and look, if it ends up being a, yet another five niller, you'd expect Werner to be on the clean uh, on the score sheet. Sorry, at least twice, if not three times. And we've seen, you know, the amount of the amount of um, players that are getting hat tricks and you know massive uh, massive goal tallies so far this season. So why not Werner next? So that's kind of why I've put my armband on him. But I do feel that you know, if you compare Chelsea to Manchester City. It's a no-brainer. Man City are looking the better side at the moment, so it's whether I go for the player that I think is the better, um, you know, the better player, literally in De Bruyne, or do I go for the the player that's playing the the weaker side? So that's kind of the headache that I've got at the moment. I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep it on Werner um, for the time being. Um, I might kind of make that final decision on um, on Friday. And Calvert Lewin. No much more, to, not much more to say other than he's playing Crystal Palace away. Crystal Palace are looking relatively good. Is that going to stop Everton from their, you know, playing their free flowing football? Probably not. Can see it being quite a close game because Everton will want to hold the possession and Crystal Palace are more comfortable on the um, on the attack. So I think it's going to be quite a high scoring game. Um, I can see Palace um, defending and once Everton get the breakthrough. They're, you know they're going to be goals in this one so um happy not to own a palace defender or an everton defender really happy to own an everton attacker and hopefully calvert-lewin can do really well for me and finally onto my bench now my bench is looking rather weak at this stage but i'm hoping right now that, that there aren't really many players in my first 11 who i'm worried won't start i guess the only one really at this stage is pedence at wolves just in case you know um Santo decides to, to shake things up a little bit but for now I'm pretty happy that they'll all start so I shouldn't need any of the any of them but Steer against Fulham obviously won't start backup goalkeeper at Villa um, Davis again another Villa player um, he's my first sub the only reason he's my first sub and not Justin is because Villa play Fulham and I can just see in the last few minutes Davis coming on and the game being quite open and maybe Davis kind of getting getting an opportunity putting one away maybe winning a penalty or something crazy like that so that's why he's my first my first sub and even if he comes on and gets one point I can actually see that one point being more than what Justin gets against Manchester City Um, and obviously Justin's my second sub playing Manchester City away I can't really see much in it there for Leicester I can see that being a pretty high score line um Johnny Evans is back though, I believe, for, for Man City. So maybe that will help shore up their defence slightly against against City. That could be an extra um, kind of sweetener for Werner as my captaincy captaincy option if um, if Evans is back because I can't see De Bruyne doing quite as well 
um, if if Evans is there leading that that back line. So Justin second sub, and then obviously finally Basuma as my third sub. I think he looks still the best 4.5 option. I, I like the look of Anguissa, and I'm going to keep a close eye on Burke, who played 90 minutes of Sheffield United um, last weekend. But for now, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with Basuma. It's just a shame he got a red card. Not worth panicking or worrying about that. He's going to be my third sub until he's back and probably will be part of my squad at least until I wildcard. So that kind of brings a close to this podcast. Obviously, a massive good luck heading into game week three. I hope that your players do incredibly well for you. And to those who've wildcarded, let's hope that you, you feel that that's the right decision after you've, you've, you've hit that all-important chip. If you haven't already, please do follow both the Back for FPL Twitter and Instagram account for more content leading up to game week three and beyond. Um, but otherwise, all there is left to say is have a good one and I'll catch you next time.